morning, everybody. My name is Gene. I'm one of the preachers here at Grace Fellowship Church. I believe it might not have been announced, but we have a well-child nursery available. Out, um, if you go through those doors, it's the room right on your left. You can take advantage of that if you please. In college, I reached a crossroads. Was I going to continue in a life of drinking, debauchery, and serving myself? Or was I going to lay those things down and draw near to the God who had been pulling on my heart for years? During my junior year of college at Penn State, I asked myself many times, is it worth it to serve and worship this God? Why should I care about serving this God? Why should I seek to obey His commands? God's lists of do's and don'ts, it's pretty long, and I like to do a lot of the things on the do not do list. (laughs) Why should I give Him my entire life? Isn't that a little much? Can't I just give God some of my life? Maybe Sundays. Why must it be the whole thing? These were some of the questions that I was asking myself junior year of college. And maybe you've asked some of these same questions. Is it worth it for me to serve God? He demands a lot. Maybe it's not worth it. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it is unquestionably worth it to serve this God. And my aim this morning is to show you why from the entire book of Exodus. Our journey this morning looks like this. On your outline, you'll read, it is worth it for you to serve this God who is powerful. It is worth it for you to serve this God who is concerned. It is worth it for you to serve this God who is merciful. And I won't be reading from any particular passage as this is a a wrap-up sermon for our series in Exodus. If you're new or you're visiting with us this morning, we're delighted to see you. Welcome. Uh, We have, for almost the past year, been working through the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And today marks the end of that. Our theme for this series has been a question. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? It's a question that's asked early on in the book by the pagan king, Pharaoh. And this is the question that we're going to focus on this morning as we wrap this this whole series up. Who is the Lord that I should obey? His voice. As we've studied the, the book of Exodus, we've seen three main divisions. They're broken up on your outline. And each of these divisions, they tell us something specific about God. The first 15 chapters, they speak a lot about slavery and God's power to deliver. 15 through 18, they speak a lot about Israel's journey through the wilderness and God's concern for His people as they journey through the wilderness. And then the the final chapters of the book, 19 through 40, the setting shifts to the foot of Mount Sinai where we saw God's law and we saw God's mercy. So that's that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray and we can get started. Father, we bow before you this morning and we give you all the praise and the, the glory. Father, would you bless our time this morning as we wrap up Exodus? Show us more of your glory. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would build up our church. We pray that you would draw us near. We pray that we would be more in awe of Christ and how Exodus points to Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So we're going to talk a lot about God's power in Exodus. But before the power, let's talk about God's purpose in Exodus. Rewind with me all the way back to the beginning of the book. There, God's people, the Israelites, they are enslaved in Egypt. And God wants to set them free. So he raises up this man, Moses, an Israelite, to deliver them. And God says to cowardly Moses, stand before the king of all of Egypt and demand that my people be set free. You know, the the ones that are providing free labor for Pharaoh. And God gives a couple purpose statements to Moses to say in front of Pharaoh. Exodus 8.1, Moses says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 9.1, let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 10.3, Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may serve, serve, serve over and over again at the beginning of the book. Here's one that's slightly different. Exodus 5.1. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And here's one final one that puts them two, puts them together. Exodus 7.16. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. So the, the clear, uh, uh, the, the purpose that God is after is unquestionably clear. God wants Israel to be free so that they can serve him. But there's an obstacle in the way. Pharaoh is standing right in the middle of God's purpose road. And God intends to deal with him. Let's talk about God's power. It is worth it for you to serve this God who is powerful. We see God's power in Exodus, do we not? Especially in the first 15 chapters, God pries Pharaoh's fist open so that the Israelites can go free. Exodus 9:16, God says to Pharaoh, but for this purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God raises this guy up, stubborn as he is so that His mighty power would be on display for the whole world to see. Think of the plagues that we've studied and how they utterly devastate Egypt. The blood and the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the death of the livestock, boils and hail and locusts, darkness and death, all wrought by God's power. And God is powerful enough to spare the Israelites completely. In 14, chapter 14, we see more of God's power. God exercises his command over the wild sea. He divides the wild sea and the Israelites are able to pass through on dry ground. 
until they're safe on the other side. And then when they're safe on the other side, he allows the full weight of the water to fall upon the Egyptians who resisted him. Yes, God's power is displayed in the book of Exodus. Yahweh is powerful enough to rescue His people even from the king of Egypt. God is like the power hitter on the football team uh, that you fear. I played football in high school and if you're familiar with football at all, there's something called scout team, which is like the second team who plays against first team. So it's one team, and I was on scout team, and Al was on first team. Al was, he wasn't tall, but he was about 250 and all muscle. You did not want to run into Al. So God is a little bit like Al. He is, he is powerful. Why is it worth it for you to serve this God? Have you ever felt powerless in life? Powerless to change your circumstances? Or powerless to free yourself from sin? It is worth it for you to serve this God because He has much more power than you do. Much more power than Pharaoh. God has the power to rescue and to deliver even when it looks hopeless. Even when Pharaoh's fist is clenched tight. He has the power to rescue us when we are utterly stuck in our sin. In the Christian life, we talk about being set free from our sin as Israel is set free from slavery. So how does this apply, you might be asking? How, how does this change my life? Well, let me offer you something. As a Christian, you are first rescued from your sin. Then you are called to serve. You are first rescued from slavery, then called to serve. It's not the other way around. We do not serve in order to be set free from sin. God first in His power and in His power to deliver, He sets us free. And then we have the joy and the delight and the honor of serving Yahweh. If you're a non-Christian this morning, maybe you're exploring Christianity, welcome. We're very glad you're here. Did you know that this is true about Christianity? God first rescues and then His people serve Him. It's not the other way around. We do not serve in order to be rescued. Let's consider one more thing. God is a God of power. He's also a God of concern and, and a God of mercy. We'll see that in the next two points. Let's consider what is a God today that people worship that has power, but not concern, not mercy? Money. Money has power, yes. Power to acquire power over people. If you have money, you can be the first in line. You can have the best, most exclusive memberships. But money, it has no concern for you. It shows you no mercy. If you play the money wrong on the stock market, it will show you no mercy. It's not going to come back to you and say, it's okay, I'll take the hit. Why don't you keep me? It's gone. 
No mercy. It is worth it for you to serve this God who is powerful. He is not only powerful, he is concerned. Let's talk about that point. We also see in Exodus, it is worth it for us to serve this concerned God, especially in chapters 15 through 18. So at that point in the book, the Israelites are out of slavery in Egypt. They're in the wilderness. But in the wilderness, in the barren lands, they're not abandoned by God. In chapter 15, God turns bitter water into sweet drink for them. Chapter 16, he gives them bread from heaven to eat. Chapter 17, he makes water gush from a rock that they might drink yet again. Later in in 17, he gives them victory over Amalek as they depend on him in battle. Chapter 18, the Lord gives them guidance so that they know how to live together and settle disputes. God is not abandoning his people. He, He cares for them. He is concerned for his people. He's like a father or a mother who provides comfort and care and concern for the the child he loves. Why is it worth it for you to serve this God who is concerned for you? Would you rather serve a God who doesn't care about you? I mean, I don't feel like I need to say a whole lot more. God cares about you a whole bunch. He's concerned for you. And I mean the the word concern in the best sense of the word. He cares about you. And so it is worth it to serve this God. He's a God of power, of concern. Let's consider, what's a God today that has concern but not power? At least power to deliver. Romance. Romance has plenty of concern for you and and mercy, which we'll get to soon. But romance has no power to actually rescue us. Let me tell you what I mean. What happens when you've just had the worst day of your life and you come home and you're still single? What happens when you've been married for 10 years and it turns out that marriage is not all you thought it would be? What happens when maybe you've had decades of a a blessed marriage? What happens when God chooses to call one of you home? People in movies, they look to this romance because it's the most infatuating way to fool ourselves, apparently. But what it lacks is the power to give us our greatest need. Our greatest need is deliverance and rescue and salvation, which God himself can give. Here's another application for us to consider, an outward one. We can image this concern that God has to our neighbors. Image this concern that God has to our neighbors. How can you relate to your neighbors in such a way that shows what kind of God you serve? I praise God for what he did with the 
the yard sale yesterday and the family fun day a couple weeks ago. I think that's amazing. Here are a couple other ideas. When you see your neighbors moving in or moving out, you can show concern for them by offering help. When they need to borrow something, you can show concern for them by giving them the best of what you've got. When you ask, how are you, neighbor? You can be ready to listen to their answer and to ask follow-up questions to show your concern for them. When your neighbor starts talking about their kids, you can show concern for them by asking about what their kids enjoy and what your family does together. You can show what kind of God you serve by how you relate to them. It is worth it for you to serve this God who is concerned. He is concerned. He is powerful. Finally, let's let's talk about God's mercy. Through the narrative of Exodus, we see it is worth it to serve this God who is merciful. Especially in chapters 19 through 40. So how have you seen God's mercy in 19 through 40 as we've studied the book? One of the first things that might come to mind is the golden calf, right? We see God's mercy on full display there. Chapter 32, Israel gives up on God. They say, I'm not going to worship you anymore. Moses, you've been up on the mountain too long. I'm going to make a golden calf statue and bow down to that and worship that instead. You know what? In fact, that calf is what brought us out of Egypt. And instead of wiping the people out, God in his mercy, he listens to Moses. And he chooses to show them mercy. He chooses to let them live, even though it's very clear they should not have done this. Exodus 20, you shall not make gods of gold. That's God's mercy. We see more of God's mercy in his own definition of himself. Moses pleads with God, God, show me your glory. And God mercifully says, all right, you're not going to see my face, but I will walk by you and you can see my back. That in itself is mercy. But as he walks by Moses in in Exodus 34, God says these words. Listen for the mercy. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaims, The Lord's the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God defines himself as a merciful God. And yes, he is also a just God. If you keep reading, he talks about his justice. But he is also a merciful God. Finally, we see God's mercy in his choosing to dwell with Israel. It's pretty remarkable because Israel is pretty stubborn. They are a stiff-necked people. And the fact that God chooses to come dwell with them is mercy in itself. Make this tent so I can come live with you, you stiff-necked people. That in itself is mercy. Because if all were right and fair, he should stay far away. 
God is like the merciful neighbor of yours who, when you plow over their mailbox because you're in a hurry with your car, the neighbor says, you know what? I will take the the cost. I will repair it. You go free. God is like the merciful family member who, in the holidays, they move toward the family member that no one likes instead of away. God is merciful like that. Why is it worth it for you to serve this merciful God? What better deal do you have? A God who will completely wipe away all of your sin against Him? A God who will choose to draw near to you and forgive you when you worship other things? A God who will give grace and show you His glory even though you deserve to be left in Egypt. Brothers and sisters, where else would you go but this merciful God? What better deal do you have? Children, did you know that worshiping God is a good deal? Your parents might talk about good deals that they get at the store. Worshiping God is, it is the right thing to do, but it's also a really, really, really good deal. You get something that you don't deserve for free. You get mercy. Let's consider something else. So God, He is a God of power, of concern, of mercy. What's a God today that might have the first two, but does not have mercy? Perhaps... Islam's God, Allah. And I want to say I am no expert in Islam, but I have been studying the Quran and the Bible regularly for a couple years now with a uh, Muslim couple that I'm friends with. And from what they tell me and from my study, Allah has power, yes. He, he may even have some concern, but from my study and from what they tell me, there is no assurance of mercy with Allah. On Judgment Day, you may or may not be saved. There is no sure, God-purchased, blood-bought mercy like there is with the God of the Bible. They tell me they live life diligently, giving it their best shots with the five pillars. And on Judgment Day, they hope for acceptance. But with the God of the Bible, mercy is sure. With the one and the only true God, it is mercy, sure mercy, provided by His own blood. It is worth it to serve this merciful God. As we close, let's consider Moses and a word that I haven't spoken to much given the, the series. The word is mediator. It's a big theme in the book. A mediator is someone who stands in the middle of two parties and he creates unity. So Moses, in the book of Exodus, we've seen he stands in the middle communicating with God and communicating with the people so that the people don't have to talk directly to God. He mediates. Jesus Christ, over a thousand years later, mediates. He takes the death sinners deserve on the cross and He rises again to life so that all who trust in Jesus, they can be with God 
through His mediation. So that we can dwell with God in paradise forever. Yes, Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, He did a few things. He laid down His power, submitting to death on a cross. But then God manifested His power in Luke 24 by raising Jesus to life, defeating death. Jesus demonstrates His power by breaking the shackles of sin and death that were closely closed about our wrists. When Jesus walked the earth, He showed His concern. Mark 6, He feeds over 5,000 people. He saw the, the flock and He said, My, they are like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to shepherd them. And He chooses to show His, his concern by feeding them. Jesus is merciful. Yes, He is merciful Indeed, Luke 23, on the cross, as He's bleeding, as there are holes in His body, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As He's bleeding and dying, that's what His heart says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's mercy. Jesus demonstrates His mercy by interceding for us. Father, forgive them. Look on my sacrifice. Give them mercy. Is it worth it for you to serve this God? You tell me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we bow before you. Thank you for the merciful Christ. For it's through him that we come to you, Lord. And Exodus, Exodus is wonderful. It is a story of your power. It is a story of your concern. It is a story of your mercy. It is a story of much more, but at least those things. And Lord, we stand in awe of what you've done. Not only in Exodus, but over a thousand years after the Exodus in Jesus Christ. Father, we, we look to Jesus and we hope in Jesus for life, and for salvation. Lord, would you guide us this week? Help us to live in such a way that would bring honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.